Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast. Good morning. How are you doing, David? Doing well. It's March 26th, 2021, and today on the podcast, we have been talking about foreign affairs. We're going to take a lighter approach today. I'm going to introduce you to the wild world of Reddit. Of course, <laughs> we're not going to go too deep because Reddit has a lot of subcultures. That's the whole thing about Reddit is it's all about subreddits where anything you're interested in, you could find information on on Reddit. We're going to be sticking with one subreddit that's one of the more popular ones called Today I Learned. Does that sound good. interesting enough to you? Sounds good to me. Okay, so I think this is what we'll do. We'll go post by post and we'll see this is Today I Learned. Uh, we'll immediately say if you knew it already or if you did learn that by reading the the post. <laughs> okay. And then if you've determined that we should have a quick chat about it, you say, I think we should chat about this. And then we'll have a little chat. If if it's very interesting, we can click into the post and read the background material. Ah. Um, or if we could say, okay, yeah, I learned that, but who cares? Let's go to the next one. So those <laughs> those are our three options. Okay. So whether or not you learned it, uh, whether or not you want to have a quick chat about it, or whether or not you want to go deeper, or whether or not you want to skip. Sound good? Sounds great. Okay. Sounds we're fun. I'm sorting by hot. Um, so these are the current hottest posts on this subreddit. Let's take a look here. Today I learned. Today I learned, Martin Scorsese, after requiring 19 takes to get a scene right in his film Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, praised one particular six-year-old extra. She ate 19 ice cream cones and didn't get sick. That girl's gonna be an actress. That girl was future Academy Award-winning actress Laura Dern. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that either, but that's pretty cool. That's really cool. Um, so we've been sort of eating a little bit more healthier, but I could sure go for 19 ice cream cones right about now. <laughs> well, my cousin and I, Steve Swinford, mm -hmm. uh, when I was younger, I can't eat that much ice cream today. We were had all you can eat at a, some cafeteria, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we had this contest, how many can I eat? How many can he eat? So we kept going back and get, uh, kept going, get, get ice cream. <laughs> And he quit like at 18, and I went all the way to like 28 or something. So I could eat a lot of ice cream back when I was younger, but not now. No, I mean, I could never really eat that much ice cream. I was good at eating savory stuff. I ate uh, 18 tacos in a taco eating contest once. I won the contest. Wow. And, and they were pretty big. So the next highest was 15. But I was ahead, so I wanted to you know, get a lead. I wish I would have stopped at 16. So that I would have won. Those extra two tacos were completely unnecessary. Oh, and by the way, I signed us up for a Reddit account. Our Reddit name is Sons Sequoia without the of. Do you see it up here in the upper right hand corner? Oh, yeah, I think I do. So, oh, yeah, there it is. If anyone wants to reach out to us on Reddit, that is our official username Sons Sequoia. And I'll get you oh. the login information so you can log into Reddit if you want and comment as Sun Sequoia on people's stuff. Okay. Uh, what is Laura Dern in? What what movies is she in? Jurassic Park. Okay. Um, well, let's, let's look at her IMDb page, huh? Yeah. 
Laura Dern. Jurassic Park is the big one I can think of. Known yeah, for. I remember that. She was good in that. Um, let's see. Actress. Where was she as an actress? Uh, Jurassic World. Star Wars. The Last Jedi. Wow. Um, the thing with... I wish you could sort by movies, too. Because uh, you sort by actor, and she's been in a lot of, you know, F is for Family. That's a TV show. Like, I wish you could just, but yeah, I think that Jurassic Park is the big one. But she's been, you know, an actress for a long time. Yeah. Look at all yeah, these well, credits. Yeah, she, look, at, look at that. Wow. That's pretty good. Next post? Yeah, next post. Today I learned that Charles Darwin brought back a pet tortoise from his visit to the Galapagos Islands on HMS Beagle, which died recently. The tortoise named Harriet lived a whooping 176 years and spent the last years of her life in Steve Irwin's Australian Zoo. Wow. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Uh, tortoises are pretty rad. They they kind of like these ancient primordial creatures that. And we recently watched. Uh, we've been watching some nature films, on the National Geographic on the Disney Plus, and they talk about how the tortoise they lay thousands of eggs. And the little hatchlings struggle to make it to the water, and one out of a thousand might make it to adulthood. And. The crazy thing is, you know, the mortality is so high for the little ones, but the old ones can live to be almost 200 years. Yeah. It's wild. Well, I didn't know that. I could I could I couldn't think of a better place to to live your years than Steve Irwin's Australian Zoo, except for maybe in your home in the Galapagos Islands. Maybe in the Gal- yeah, Galapagos Islands where you were in your home with all your buds. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's pretty cool, and uh, it didn't didn't have a year. Uh, what what year did he bring him bring the tortoise back? One hundred seventy six years ago. Let's see. When did he die? HMS Beagle. When was the? Um, maiden voyage was eighteen twenty. So sometimes some hey look it was a Cherokee class ship. Yep. Did you know that that was a class of ship? Nope. Cherokee class of 655-gun brig sloops was designed by Sir Henry Peak in 1807. So, I mean, that's what, 200 years ago that it was commissioned. And then when was Charles Darwin's voyage? Have you heard about this... uh, have you heard about the ship in the Suez Canal? No. Oh my goodness. I mean, we're kind of just freewheeling today, but this cargo ship, it's gigantic. It's like mm-hmm. the size of 20 football fields. It's stuck in the Suez Canal and it's slowing 12% of the world's shipping. Wow. It's obstructing the canal. It's just stuck. Wow. Um, there's a great... Here's the picture. 
Um, let me kill our. Yeah, how would you how would you unstuck something that huge? Look at this picture. Wow. <laughs> you Ever can do given. it. You can do it, little earth mover. You can do it, little backhoe. That little backhoe looks so small compared <laughs> to the ship. The thing is huge. Oh, my goodness. Crazy, huh? Yeah, yeah it is. 400 meter long, 1,300 foot container ship, which has blocked the Suez Canal in Egypt since Tuesday. Wow. And Yeah, well... I didn't know that either. Nope. So we're learning. We're learning a lot of stuff today. We are. We're learning a lot of stuff. This one, I think. I should we do like a little rating? The Charles Darwin turtle is my new favorite. For the ones yeah, like we've that. seen so far today, I like it. Well, they're they're different. Laura Dern, that's cool. Yeah. That as a kid, you know, that's cool. And then the and the, that it's, it's kind of like different categories. Yeah, it's true. And this TIL, it's just like people find stuff out that's interesting, and then they post it here. And we're searching by the the hottest ones, so they what will. T, what's TIL? TIL is today I learned. Oh, okay. I think that TIL is like uh, the short short form of it because the red subreddit is called Today I Learned. Okay, good. Today I learned that the difference between a graveyard and a cemetery is that a cemetery is not attached to a church. Oh, yeah, I didn't know that either. I don't know if that's true. Look at the source, wisdombiscuits.com. Not exactly. Um, I always thought graveyard was a very ominous word. You know, cemetery or mortuary, like all those words are, you know, oh, I'm going to visit the cemetery. But does anyone say like, oh, I'm going to go visit my loved ones at the graveyard? Doesn't that sound a lot harsher? Well, I kind of remember the term graveyard is for things other than people, like the ship graveyard. You know, uh, I think it does have uh, graveyard is named for different things too. You know, where ships are, where ships go to when mm -hmm. they're out of commission. But I don't know. Doesn't graveyard sound less like a place of remembrance than a cemetery? Yeah. Um. Moving on, okay? Yeah. Today I learned the aptly named Operation Torpedo, in which the FBI compromised three dark web pages by exploiting a flaw in the Tor browser and caught 19 owners of CP. You're not allowed to say that on... Uh... Okay, I mean, that's good for the FBI. Um, you're not allowed to say that on YouTube. They take down your video. Okay. Um yeah, that's a sad story. I mean, I guess it's a good story because they caught the bad guys. But moving yeah. on. <laughs> uh, T-I-L. Oh, I like this one. I, I've, I, learned, I know about this one. I didn't need to be told about this one. I was in Stripol Airport around the time this was happening, and it was a big thing. Today I learned of the Stripol fly, which is a fly engraved on the urinals at Amsterdam Stripol Airport. The psychology is that men will want to wash the fly off the urinal, so they focus more when urinating, apparently lowering cleaning bills in public bathrooms. <laughs> I didn't know that, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. 
because when I was in Shaipo, I'm like, what the hell is this? And I, you know, I sort of like asked around and I got the scoop. The Shaipo fly keeps piss from getting all over the floor. Uh, that's like that's like uh, a little training a little kid to go in the in the potty. You pour uh, uh, Cheerios and they float, and you say, "Hey, kid, sink them." Yeah. You know? and so you keep it in the bowl. I think it just <laughs> proves that grown men are just little kids at heart. They're just little kids. Yeah, we're all little kids. <laughs> you give them heart. something to aim at, and they'll they love will it. they will aim at it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, um, I like that one. That one might be my new favorite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Today I learned Metallica did a concert in Antarctica, setting the world record for being the only band to play all seven continents. They used headphones instead of amplifiers to preserve the environment there. That seems completely unnecessary, but I guess it's cool. Well, wait a minute. Why did they use head? How does headphones preserve the environment? Uh, they are extremely loud. Maybe they would crack the ice, or they would disturb the wildlife, the penguins, or I don't know. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that. And uh, but there's a reason I don't know these things because they're not very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the shy pole fly was a little interesting. Oh, that's that's fun. That's that's. That is interesting, but it's more fun fact. You know, mm-hmm. that's cool. That's cool, and it's funny. I thought the tortoise, uh, Charles Darwin's tortoise, ended up in Steve Irwin's zoo. Yeah. And lived 178 years. What was it? 176 years. That was close. 176 years. Okay, that one, I don't think that one's that interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, me neither. Well, good for them. It's It's more of a stunt than anything, right? I guess so, yeah. Well... Good for them. Okay, let's see. Moving on. Today I learned that when Hurricane Ivan was in the Gulf of Mexico in 2004, pressure sensors on the ocean floor detected a freak wave 91 feet tall. Computer Mm -hmm. simulations suggested that at the storm's peak as a Category 5, it was producing waves over 130 feet high. Wow. Now, that's actually, that's kind of good to know. These hurricanes are not... Are not shouldn't shouldn't be taken lightly. No, and one thing about this, I did not know this. Obviously, I mean, who would unless they were a hurricane meteorologist? But one thing about this post that I'm thinking about is they have pressure sensors on the ocean floor that can determine how big waves are. That's yeah. pretty interesting too. Like, who put the who said? Oh, we're going to send a submarine down and put pressure sensors on the ocean floor. That's that's fascinating that somebody did that. Yeah. And how does a pressure sensor on the ocean floor deter, uh, detect the height of a wave? Yeah. I'm sure they use math. Well, they use <laughs> physics. Physics. They use, they use physics and electronics and yeah, probably the bigger the wave, uh, the heavier the the weight of the water and and uh, because it's not it's the wave is not just going up it's being pushed together and that's causing the weight and that's if you know what i mean mm-hmm. that's pretty interesting that's pretty interesting so that 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 one's a good one i like that one because of course i'm a physicist and one of my 
in the background. But the idea there is that, one, there's ocean sensors. Mm -hmm. Two, you have a Category 5 wave, I mean Category 5 hurricane, that creates as much as 130 feet high waves. And three, the ocean floor sensors detected a 91-foot wave uh, Tall. Yeah, they measured a 91-foot wave, but they extrapolated a yeah. 130-foot wave. Well, they, they've predicted. They forecast. Uh, yeah, that's pretty good. No, I think that my understanding is the sensors are probably nearer the shore. So they said, you know, the sensor picked up a 91-foot wave, but if we walk that back in a model, there was probably a 130-foot wave when it was in the middle of the Gulf where we don't have sensors. That's what I thought. They're saying because they said the computer yeah. model suggests that at the storm's peak, when it was big in the middle of the Gulf, it was probably producing waves that were 130 feet. That's probably right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you like that one because it's actually science. It's not just yeah. like a weird fact that nobody would know. I like the shy pole fly. <laughs> That's my current one. Because because uh, uh, you like bathroom stories, <laughs> child at heart, right, Mikey? That's right. Let's make this a little bigger. Um, today, I learned that prior to establishing an acting career, Harrison Ford worked as a roadie for the Doors. He stated that after the job was done, he was one step away from joining a Jesuit monastery, and that he couldn't keep up with those guys. It was too much. <laughs> That's not that surprising. Have Have you ever seen The Doors starring Val Kilmer? No. The guy that plays, Val Kilmer plays Jim Morrison. And I don't know, you know, you watch a biopic and you're like, I don't know how true to life this is. But the guy was just completely out of control on drink and drugs. From the second they got famous to the second he died at the age of, I think he was 27. So it seemed like, he, you know, they were a freight train just ready to crash the doors. And it's kind of sad. So when it says that he couldn't keep up with those guys, it was too much. He's talking about the uh, the doors. Yes. Well, it's at the end of the sentence after he talks about the Jesuit monastery. <laughs> and yeah, I thought I thought you mean those those monks are, were were wild. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. Yeah, if you think the doors he are stated, wild, he stated. Look 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 what he says. He stated that after the job was done, he was one step away from joining a Jesuit monastery and that he couldn't keep up with those guys. Well, that's kind of like a dangling modifier that's modifying Jesuit monastery. Yeah. That's exactly how I took it. <laughs> it was too much. So he didn't join it because those monks were just way too... I couldn't keep up with those monks. Yeah, I was one step away from joining the monastery, but I couldn't keep up with those guys. Yeah, I think it's a weird sentence. Um, I don't, not not a fan of that one. That one's no Shypole B. No, but it's it's interesting. It's interesting. I think that it's like, oh, did you know that a famous movie star did something else with someone else famous before they were a movie star? I think that that's often. They all did something. <laughs> yeah. But I think that that's often, I think you see this. Um, people that become stars, they'll have some proximity to stardom. Earlier in their life, like Harrison Ford being a roadie for the Doors, because I think what happens is you are around these people and you see they're just people. 
they're not gods. They're not prophets. They're just people, and they're deeply flawed people. And then when it comes to when Some you get, of them are. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, but or I mean, or they're they're just regular people. They're not. I mean, but when it comes to oh, I have a chance to get my shot. You don't think I don't deserve this? You say I knew people that were famous. They weren't all that impressive. They were just people. So I think that you're yeah. less likely to blow it because you're like, I'm not nervous. I've known, I've had proximity to fame. And I know that being famous doesn't make you any more special. Like, you're, I think that you, you get over your imposter syndrome more quickly if you have proximity to fame because you see that famous people are just people too. Also, when you're famous, that that's... I, I've been... Uh, years ago when I realized that uh, when you're famous, it's that's a hard life. Mm-hmm. You have to deal with things people don't necessarily have to deal with. And uh, it's not that it's not that pleasant. And some people are uh, child actors. They're doing it. Uh, and uh, I think it's it's nice if uh, they have a good support system and that's something they love to do and they're going to do it. Uh, but a lot of the child actors, they don't want to do that. They want to do something else, mm-hmm. you know. But they have to do that because they're child, they're children, and they're miserable. But they don't have a. They, a lot of them don't even have a life. They don't. They have tutors. They don't go to school. They don't hang out with their friends. They don't get fights on the playground and all that kind of stuff, you know. Yep. That's just that's just part of growing up, which is which they don't they didn't have a childhood. Yeah. So it's kind of sad. But that's different than in your in your twenties. You were a roadie for a rock band. You know, that's sort of like Harrison Ford saying, like, this, these guys are out of control. I could be a responsible star because I've seen Jim Morrison become an icon and he didn't know where he was half the time. So why not me? You know what I'm saying? Or uh, actually, I think it's to, to Harrison Ford's credit. He when he was young, he saw that. And yet he went into uh, that uh, profession anyway. Mm hmm. He could have said, "Oh man, I'm not doing this. I'm gonna go do something else. I'm not. I'm not even gonna be around any that that type of a uh, performance profession, performing for performing arts. I'm not doing that." Uh, but he did. So to me, it says, "Well, good for him. Maybe that's exactly what he should be doing." Mm-hmm. You know, because he he likes it enough to say, "That's not gonna keep me from it." Yeah, that was uh, a so, those were, that was their choices. Yeah. Moving on. Today I learned in a promotional video, or in a promotional Volkswagen experiment, one randomized group of sub- subway commuters was given the choice of regular stairs and the escalator, while the second group could choose between musical piano stairs and an escalator. The piano stairs convinced 66% more people than normal to choose stairs. Huh. That's kind of cool. Uh-huh. There it is, the piano stairs. It's just painting. I mean, it looks like it's just a regular old staircase they painted like a piano. That's different. I think yeah. that there's a lot of stuff you can do that, that makes it seem cooler to do something mundane. Yeah. Like paint yeah. your staircase like a piano. Yeah. Well, I find the percentage, 66%, interesting. Any Anytime I see 67%, or 37% or 30, uh, 33% or 34%. Mm-hmm. Anytime I see that, I always think of the normal distribution. Yeah. And, and everything uh, will converge 
uh, to normality, mm -hmm. uh, the normal, the Gaussian normal distribution. And uh, actually, you can see that that phenomenon uh, a lot. So when it's random, they will randomly go to that for now. But I bet they go back. I don't know. They might even they they might even stay 60, 60 the sixty. That percentage will stay there over time because I just enjoy doing it. Mm -hmm. it's something different. That's kind of that's kind of clever. But sixty six is a very common two thirds. Two thirds uh -huh. more people. Like it's like. So how big was their sample size? You know, it is from an educational site, PSU. Um, today I learned the rise of Japanese whiskey rests on the efforts of Masataka Takatsuro, a pioneering chemist who brought the craft of Scottish whiskey to Japan. He married a Scottish woman and they founded Yoichi Distillery in 1934. While the first whiskey was maturing, they sold apple juice to make ends meet. Huh. That's interesting. I mean, obviously, I didn't know that, but... Yeah, I didn't know that. The interesting thing, like, I, uh, Yamaha, the story of Yamaha. Uh, you've heard that story, right? No. He was a repairman, and he fixed... Oh, what did he repair? I forget. But he was, like, a handyman that could repair anything. And he lived in this village in Japan, and they had this organ, this reed organ from the West. And they're like, can you repair this? And he was able to repair it. And he's like, I could make this. And so he made his own reed organ, and then he brought brought it over the mountains on foot to get it certified by the, you know, Japan Society of Instruments. And they said, we can't certify this. It's not in tune. And so he stayed in the city, and he learned about temperaments. He walked back over the mountains. He made a brand new organ that was perfectly in tune, brought that back, and they said, okay, yeah, you can start selling these. And he sold them all over Japan because Japan didn't have an organ manufacturer. <laughs> and that's why Yamaha's logo is three tuning forks. Oh. Because it shows the dedication Yamaha had to, he didn't just give up when he encountered a roadblock. He went back and he learned about temperament and tuning, and he built an organ that was in tune. And so to this yeah. day, Yamaha's logo is three tuning forks. That's my own personal today I learned. And I think that's more interesting than Masataka Takatsuro and his whiskey. Yeah, he just did something. But, the, the, yeah, that's pretty cool. I think, I've, I think you may have told me that story before now that I hear it about Yamaha. But I think it was more to it than that. That Yeah, he, just, he didn't give up. Mm -hmm. But he went all the way back over the mountains back home. To, and he learned about how to do it, and it wasn't easy. No. But but he stuck with it until he got it perfectly, and then he went back, and then he kept going. And now Yamaha still a company today. Sometimes success depends 90% on luck, and the other 50% is determination. Yeah, well, Papa, my <laughs> grandfather, he always used to say, PPO, persistence pays off. That was one of his <laughs> sayings. Uh-huh. Um, moving on. Today, I learned fish eggs can survive and hatch after passing through a duck, providing one explanation of how seemingly pristine, isolated bodies of water can become stocked with fish. Wow. Oh. 
Makes sense, right? Ducks eat the fish eggs, ducks poop the fish eggs, the fish get hatched in a different body of water. Wow. So the, the little transports. Mm-hmm. So those ducks are little Amazon transports. Yep. They're the Amazon van drivers. <laughs> of, of fish eggs and likes. Uh-huh. Oh, I didn't know that. In pristine, pristine waters. Wow. Uh, so we're learning stuff today. Yeah, we are. That ducks poop fish eggs at hatch. Uh-huh. I still like the shy pole fly. That's my... Oh, what oh, What did I do? What did I do? You went back. Here we I go. Did. We're good. Today I learned Abraham Lincoln gave great prominence to hats as they would protect him from bad weather. He sh- helped store important documents and made his height advantage more prominent. Yeah, he wore those top hats, those stove top hats. That's what he... I guess they're called. Do you think I should start wearing um, stove top hats in all of my business <laughs> dealings just so that I look t- taller? Let's see. 110 bucks. 115. Uh, That's you, David. Let's let's look at Amazon. Cuz I have an Amazon account. I'm not logged in on this browser, but uh we're going to look stove ty- stove type hat. Stove Top hats. So, uh, um, 12. That's more my speed. <laughs> right? Oh, well, it's am scan. Anyway, uh, I don't know. I think, look, look at there, man. If that was just like your everyday walking around hat. Um, we used to just documents in there too. Yeah. We used to joke about that. Uh, you know, the, the Green Bay Packers cheese hats. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like hats made out of cheese or uh, the Broncos Uh logo hat. Um, oh, they're going to show me. Do you know the ones that look like the horse? They're like molded foam of the horse. We used to yeah, joke like, what if the molded foam of the horse was like your everyday walking around hat? You didn't just wear it to game day. It's like just like a random Tuesday you're going to the store, you're wearing your Broncos molded foam hat. Uh-huh. Well, I did not know that he kept documents in him. I did not know no. that he liked them because they protected him from bad weather or that they made his height advantage more prominent. But I did know that he wore a stovetop hat. That's kind of like a... Is that picture his hat? Is that Probably. actually his hat? This, yeah, I think so. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's his top hat. It's the Smithsonian. Wow. So I'm sure the Smithsonian has access to Abraham Lincoln's hat. Smithsonian.com, smithsonianmag.com, is one of my least favorite websites because they have probably about 15 pop-up ads per one paragraph of the article that you read. It's pretty bad. Um, and they do have good articles. It's just like, I don't want to subscribe just because they're so obnoxious. I would rather like New York times, you read a couple articles and then they just don't show you the article. I would rather they do that than show you every article, but make it impossible to read the article. Yeah. Okay. This one's about the native Americans. So we can relate on some level, correct? Yep. Navajo. Yeah, not us. 
Today I learned the name of Germany in the Navajo language means metal cap wearer land, referencing the distinctive wartime steel helmets. In Pl Plains Cree, it is among the steel helmets, and in Lakota, it is bad speaker land. <laughs> wow. That's interesting. I mean, you know, you send Navajo to Germany. How are they going to classify these people? I like bad speaker land because no one's ever watched someone speak German and say, that is such a beautiful language. <laughs> yeah, it's a Lakota Sioux, I guess. And then the Plains Cree, Lakota Sioux, bad speaker land. Yeah. Well, you know, they. Uh, that's why that's why they have um, uh, when the Indians would see anything, they would they would have a name for it by what it looked like, mm -hmm. uh, like uh, Sequoia uh, had like writing letters and everything. Mm -hmm. It's called it a talking leaf. Mm -hmm. And uh, our company is called the Talking Leaf Company and Talking Leaf Media mm -hmm. because he says, oh, these leaves, which were paper. And actually, paper comes from wood. So. I think the characters were the leaves. Oh, were they? Yeah, the, the leaves weren't the paper. The characters were leaves. You sort of draw a leaf on a paper. You draw another leaf. And then someone else opens it and it talks to them. It's You don't need to be face-to-face -face with someone to communicate. And that's sort of the whole idea. It's like... It's um, very, very creative name. Very, very creative. Native Americans are just so creative. I think... I think if you want creativity, then get a bunch of Native Americans around you. They'll mm -hmm. be creative, uh, but they'll be creative in more ways than you think. Uh, they'll be funny. They'll you'll laugh your head off. Mm -hmm. They're funny. They're bad, very funny. Bad speaker land is my favorite of the three. <laughs> bad speaker land. Uh, Today I learned yeah. Angelo Mariani was awarded a gold medal by Pope Leo the Thirteenth for inventing Vin Mariani. A cocaine and wine drink. The drink Whoa. was popular with President Grant, Thomas Edison, Prime Minister Moline, and hundreds of celebrities endorsed it. Mariani never gave the recipe, and production ended when he died. Well, that's probably for the best. Um, wow. It's fascinating. A lot of these elixirs that these shysters sold. Um, you know, because if you think about prior to the FDA, you could do anything. Well, they, they would have cocaine or laudanum, which is... Uh, Opiate, opium, essentially, you know. Um, uh -huh. And the people are like, man, these elixirs, they really do work. Because if you tell someone, if someone's sick and you say, this will cure what ails you, and it just floods your system with drugs, high caliber <laughs> drugs, you're like, oh, yeah, I do feel better. Now, the problem is, after a while, the only thing it cures is the fact that you need more elixir in about 30 or 45 minutes, you know? That's yeah. the only thing it's good for, because you get dependent upon it. So that this doesn't surprise me. I didn't know this, but it doesn't surprise me. Well, speaking of recipes, what pops into my head about what he, you know, it, it ended when he died, is my mother. My mother had a formula. I think I've told you this story before, mm -hmm. haven't I, David? With the skin. Uh, when she was, when I was at, back in the 60s, she went to this lady who would treat her skin. And it was an old lady, and she just had, she, she would have two different treatments. 
once you put the treatment on and and uh, uh, put like a, a something on her face and it would dry and you'd peel it off and mm-hmm. it would take take the the dirt out and the, exfoliate and or whatever exfoliate yeah but then she'd put uh, daily creams on and you do the exfoliate thing like once a week or once every two weeks but you do the other cream but she had these two uh, uh, formulas and so she bought it the, the lady's name was Jenny she bought it from Jenny I says mother why do that and she'd be you know a couple thousand dollars for it and they go why don't you do that she said well because her son was a chemist at a university and he helped her develop this. Uh, and so she says, it really does work. And her skin, it, it, t- it keeps it wrinkle-free. I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. But her skin was pretty smooth. It wasn't that wrinkly. Uh, but uh, she, uh, before she died, she gave it to me. Here it is. I go, wow, wow. I don't know how to do this. You mix it. And so she told me exactly how. Because she would mix it for years. And she used it. She died in 2004. So from 60... 74 to 2004 what is that 30 years mm-hmm. so she she would make it make it herself and i said well let's I, one day i said let's start a company and just sell that she goes let's do it let's do it i said nah that's, yeah that's too hassle so so and the recipe i think is over at your house somewhere yeah maybe maybe it's in this crawl space next to the studio i think it is i did look through the crawl space i didn't see anything like that though it's in a box it's in a box so anyway oh. i thought that was pretty interesting yeah um i think that honestly i mean it's a difficult sell you know for a a grandmother and her son to try to sell cosmetic products but i think cosmetic products are high margin because people don't know what they're getting so you get this little tub of cream and it's 50 bucks Probably cost two bucks to produce. That's a hell of a markup. You know, if you sell me a bag of potatoes and it's 49 cents a pound, it's a five pound bag for $2.50. The cost of shipping to get it there was probably $2.25. You're making a quarter on that. But if you could sell a tiny little tub for 50 bucks and it costs $2 to make, that's quite the markup. That's true. That's true. Um, Continuing on. Continuing on. Today I learned the expletive Jesus H. Christ was first documented by Mark Twain in his autobiography. Hmm. You know what the H stands for? Um, no. Neither do I. But <laughs> um, I did see a speculative thing. You know how they have Jesus on the cross and it says I-N-R-I above him? Yeah. You know what that means, right? Uh, I knew it one time. I don't remember. It's from the Greek. Yeah. Um, it means like Jesus, Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. I is Jesus because I's are J's. And Jesus of right. Nazareth, Rex of the Jews. Jesus of Nazareth, King, King of the Jews. King of the Jews, right. So there was speculation that the N was conflated for an H. Oh. Jesus H Christ is just Jesus N Christ. Jesus of Nazareth Christ. Or the H stands for Hank. Jesus Hank Christ. Oh, I never heard of that. <laughs> That's because I just made it up. Okay. Or Harriet. Yeah. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Jesus Hank Christ. That's what the middle name they gave him. Just like the security guard in the office. Hank. Today I learned Frankie Muniz, who has 
almost no memory of his acting career, now owns an artisanal oil and vinegar shop. I don't know why. I mean, I guess we could go into it, but this looks like a very sketchy website, celebrity.9.com.australia. No thanks. That one and the, the writing. Why, Frank, do, why, why does he have no memory of his acting career? What, what's the... The, this is Why? written. This is written to me, like clickbait. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't tell you, and then it goes to this weird celebrity website. It's not like a Wikipedia article, like so. This previous one. That's so you got to be careful on Reddit. Jesus H. Christ was first documented by Mark Twain in his autobiography. And where does it take you? Wikipedia, where it'll tell you that anecdote with citations. This one is very vague. It sort of draws you in with. Why does he have no memory of his acting career? But then you look, what's the link to click on? And it's celebrity.9.com. It's like, they just want clicks. So, mm -hmm. so their social media manager this is, is probably, oh, let's try to get something into... Uh, do you see what I'm saying? Yep, I know what you're saying. Yep. Okay. Today I learned France had a referendum on the direct election of the president in 1962, and it was approved by 62.3% of voters and abolished the Electoral College in favor of direct suffrage. As a result, Charles de Gaulle remains the only French president elected by an Electoral College. That's interesting. Ah. They did one election, and then they're like, well, well let's, let's switch this up. Maybe uh, the United States should take an example and... Just sort of say, whoever yeah. votes for the person that gets the most votes wins. That'd be yeah. not a bad idea, I don't think. Yeah. In 1980, ABC tried to duplicate Saturday Night Live with an edgier show called Fridays. By the third episode, some stations refused to air it due to objectionable content concerning zombie gore, cannibalism, and blasphemous humors. Several writers would go on to make Seinfeld, including Larry David. Oh, wow. Uh, Michael Richards was also a star. Kramer was a star on Fridays. So I knew about Fridays. Oh, okay. So you know you know about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry David, he's a personal favorite of yours, right? Well, I can identify with so much of the things he says and does. I go, I, I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll, we'll see him on, like, uh, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. And you'll say, look what he's doing. I did that the other day. <laughs> I do the same thing. You know, I, like what's 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 with the shorts, but you know, do I, do I what, look at hairy legs? What's with the bare feet? What was a bare feet for crying out loud? It's snowing outside. Well, <laughs> I gotta say, I loved Curb Your Enthusiasm when it came out, and a couple years ago, when the first five seasons were on Amazon Prime, I introduced it to you, and I loved watching it the second time because a, I loved the show, and b, I loved watching you identify. <laughs> With Larry David. They give you, they sell you these stupid things, okay? <laughs> you buy them, and you're in the shower, and you're trying to open them, and you can't open the, the push, the, the pump thing, you know? It doesn't open. And you push it, it doesn't work, you, and, and your your hands are slippery anyway. And so they, they sell it to you, so it doesn't... I have like four <laughs> bottles, four bottles of cream... Three of them are broken because I tried to open it. It broke, and only one of them works. So do you, you just know? take the do you take the top off of the one that works and put it onto one that doesn't work after the that's done? I just take the top off and pour it in my hand. Mm. 
because a pump doesn't work. The pump, they make them to where they don't work. You know, mm -hmm. it's just so annoying. You know, when I saw that, they go, I feel your pain, Larry. Yeah, I've been there. I've been I've been there so many times. I got I got I got all these three. You know, I, just don't get me started. <laughs> but I will say, watching Larry Larry David to curb your enthusiasm <laughs> with you was just as fun as watching it the first time. <laughs> it does, I can so identify with. Uh huh. I mean that that's humor. That's humor, man. Uh, it's just what you live with every day. It's like, oh, for crying out loud, why did where this guy come from? That's a lot of what Seinfeld was too. But I kind of feel like observational humor. Yes, that curb your enthusiasm. I don't know, maybe because it's newer. Because Seinfeld is very '90s, and curb your enthusiasm was more 2000s. There's just something about curb your enthusiasm, and maybe it's the sort of improvisational, non-scripted vibe of curb your enthusiasm. But I like. I don't know. It's tough to say I like it more, but I think I do like it more. I would rather watch it than watch Seinfeld again. But they're both good well, shows. Also, there's kind of a New Yorkish uh, slant to it, uh, you know, because mm -hmm. they're kind of like from New York. But you know, uh, I can, I can, I, I'm sure Larry David is listening to this. Yeah, I'm sure Larry David hears is just on every word we say in this <laughs> podcast or in this video or whatever we're doing. Uh, but I can say, uh, uh, Larry, hey, Larry. Shout out! There is, there is ten times more more information, ten times more situations today than there was back in the nineties and two thousands. Mm -hmm. than, than there was twenty years ago, with all the stuff that's happening. Oh my goodness, with with all the internet stuff and with this, with that, and with with people, just it's just it's ridiculous. There's so much stuff going on, and remember we used to go out and eat. And uh, it's so people are annoying. Mm -hmm. People are so so annoying. Uh, anyway, that there's a lot as much information today. I think there's more information today for humor. Was mm -hmm. uh, and enthusiasm kind of humor than there was back when he made it? Well, he did a season I think two years ago. So he he recently did a season. Or did he? Uh, the first one in five years or something. And that was the one where he has the episode where. If he doesn't want to go to lunch with someone, he just shows up wearing a MAGA hat. <laughs> you remember that episode? No, I don't the, remember that. Oh, it's just like get out of having to do stuff with people card. Like he'll oh, see someone no. that he doesn't that's been trying to go to lunch with him for months, and he'll see him walking down the street, and he, he gets in his bag and puts on his MAGA hat. He's like, "Hey, how's it going? Hey, what? About, how about that lunch you've been asking for?" And they're like, "Uh, no, thanks, Larry." He's like, "Okay," you know. He uses it as his get out of jail free card. <laughs> it's pretty clever. Continuing on, this one's sad, I guess. T today, I learned doctors were seven times as likely to join the Nazi party as other employed men in Germany. Now that could have had some sort of connotation, like you can't get into hospitals unless you're a party member, or you know. And maybe a reason why they did it. Yeah. Yes. Like That's a, not in that. A bureaucratic reason, not just like doctors are very likely to be Nazis. Um, I think there probably is, because there is a lot of bureaucracy around medicine. So I think that's very possible. That's the reason yeah, why. But maybe that's the only way they could practice medicine, too. Uh -huh. And they, and they uh, it could mean a lot of different things. That could mean all different things. It could mean that 
they have so much uh, value in their being to help people that they would join any party if that allowed them uh, to to help people and heal and heal people. Yes, because they wanted to practice medicine. And if medicine could... was more important than the Nazi party. Yeah. This next one is horrifying. Today I learned Disney's Finding Nemo would have happened very differently if it were real. Marlin would have taken the place of the female after Coral died, switching from male to female, and Nemo, as the younger male, would have mated with them. All clownfish start off as male. That's horrifying. <laughs> that <would've> oh, wow. <laughs> Imagine if that was the plot of Finding Nemo. Disney would get, uh, I'm sure, some complaint letters from some touchy parents. Well, these poor kids growing up, they learn the real story of Nemo, and then they just, they're just they scarred for life. I think it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. If you anthropomorphize animals, you're going to be somewhat disappointed when you find out that animals are wild creatures. We've been watching, I already alluded to this, National Geographic. You see these chimpanzees. And it's like, oh, the little babies are so cute and like they're funny and they're rambunctious. And then they start talking about chimpanzee culture. And it's like Whoa. To toxic <laughs> if by 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 human standards, you know, like, oh, they're our closest they're our closest biological relative. And they have a culture that is very hierarchical and complex. And they're all assholes. And it's like, oh, why can't they just be cool? They're not cool, <laughs> you know? And it's like, you want them to be cool because they're like you. But then it sort of makes you look at yourself. It's like, maybe I'm not as cool as I thought. If my closest biological relatives aren't cool, maybe we're not as cool as we think, right? Yeah, that's probably why we have dogs and cats and horses as pets and not monkeys or yeah. chimpanzees. Well, a chimpanzee can rip your arms and legs off. Oh. And they will, yeah. They will, too. They get mad, you're, you're in trouble. Okay, we're at 50 minutes. How about five more? Okay. <laughs> Sound good? Yeah. Today I learned that the leaf sheep, a sea slug native to Japan, is an animal that can photosynthesize. It eats algae and retains the chloroplasts that plants use for photosynthesis and can live for months on photosynthesis alone. Now, I did not oh. know this. And that's just like kind of like a pure science. Like, did you know there's an animal that can do this? But that's fascinating to me. Me too. That's very leaf sheep. <laughs> it's a very Japanese. It, leaf sheep is a sea slug. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of a slug? What? It's not a leaf. Yeah. It's not a leaf, and it's not a sheep. It's a sea slug. You know. Maybe it looks like a sheep that's covered in leaves, except for it's a sea slug. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I see it there. It's a picture. Yeah, a, let me see if I can pull it up. It probably looks like a... It's very it's pixelated. Shape like, shape like a leaf. But where's the sheep part? I don't know. Maybe sheep has a different name in Japanese. Hastasiela Kuroshimai. Known <laughs> as the leaf slug or leaf sheep. Leaf slug or makes more sense. It looks more like a slug than a sheep to me. Leaf slug, it's, that, that's, it does look like a leaf. Salty ocean caterpillar <laughs> is a species of uh, sacoglossin, sea slug. We're learning stuff today. We are learning stuff. Yep, there's so much in this world to learn. 
And now I know what a leaf sheep a, is. A leaf sheep sea slug is. Do you know what a shy pole fly is? Uh, yeah, they're they're indigenous to the the toilets in Amsterdam. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My favorite animal. My favorite animal is the shy pole fly. Uh, today I learned that creatures the size of Godzilla or King Kong cannot exist in real life. If you were to scale one up, uh, scale an animal up ten times in each dimension, it would have one hundred times the muscle power, but one thousand times the mass, likely crush, crushing this creature to death. An animal this big would look very different. Okay, but what about like a Tyrannosaurus Rex? Doesn't Godz- doesn't Godzilla look an awful lot like a Tyrannosaurus Rex? Same same thing that I thought. What about the uh, dinosaurs? And we know they existed. We have the bones. Like, okay, here's a picture of Tyrannosaurus Rex. And they're they're pretty darn big. Okay, and then he, I guess the arms are smaller than Godzilla. But let's take a look at a picture of Godzilla. Of course, there's a million representations of Godzilla, but... Kind of looks a little bit like a Tyrannosaurus Rex, doesn't it? Is that the... is Yeah. That's the new Godzilla. Yeah, it is bigger than the Tyrannosaurus... The, the T-Rex. It is bigger. Yeah. But... I mean, I guess the giant legs. No, the. It's interesting because the Tyrannosaurus Rex was bipedal, right? It's not using these little T Rex arms for anything. That's right. Walk around like us. I think Tyrannosaurus Rexes are pretty cool. Yeah. I wonder if they're really that mean. If they were really that mean when they really lived. Yeah. Are they no. like, they're like, they're, they were reptiles, right? Yeah. I could look at pictures of dinosaurs all day. <laughs> Fun. Okay, back to, we got, what, three left? Okay. Today, today I learned, whoa, what's going on with my screen? Did you see that? Nope. I was being very strange. I think that I was on the corner here or something. Today I learned that in most legal systems, a bank deposit of money is not a bailment. In other words, when you deposit cash into a bank, the funds deposited are no longer your property. You merely loaned the money to a bank for a promised interest without security. So you're loaning money to the bank. Now in America, we have the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. So it is secured by FDIC insurance. In countries where that doesn't exist, you're loaning money to that bank when you deposit it. And they're giving you a promise to pay you interest and have those funds liquid to the extent that the uh, account. But there's no guarantee that if they fold up and go out of business, they can't take your money. If the if if there is no interest, right? And no insurance. That's what it sounds like. And I think that's true. I think that's how so, banks worked before the FDIC. So a bank can go bankrupt and keep your money. Yeah. Or they could take your money, they invest it all in the stock market, and they lose it all, and they say, oops. Well, I remember now, uh, a dollar bill is a bank note. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back when I was a kid, uh, a dollar was called a silver certificate, mm-hmm. where it was a, it was a, 
is it it's a term promissory note where you could you could trade it for silver. Yes, but not all dollars were silver certificates. No, some were Federal Reserve notes. Mm -hmm. So the note was you have a dollar value, but you can't have the silver. But when you were a kid in the 50s and 60s, before the 70s, before the Nixon administration, your $1 was backed by gold that was sitting in Fort Knox. Right. So there was value to the dollar. Now, it's all just theoretical. Right. Um, well, it's, it's based on, it's based on uh, the, um, the liquidity of, of a, of a uh, economy. Mm -hmm. Based on the economy, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, but the it's not tied to any specific value. Right, right. It's just tied to an economy and to yeah. a country. So there's no standard. Like the gold standard is, you know, if we print 50 million banknotes, we have to have $50 million worth of gold to back it up. Now it's like, let's just print 50 million banknotes because we want to flood the system with dollars and lower the value of the dollar. I mean, you could do that, you know. Right. Um, right. Today I learned that around 21 people in Uganda, half of its population, are under 15 years of age. At 21 million people in Uganda. So that's a young country. Wow. It's Uganda. That's in Africa? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, I didn't know that, but what am I supposed to do with that information? That's a cool flag. It is a cool flag. Is there is a, a chicken in the middle? I don't know. Let's look at. I, this is. I can tell it's pixelated just from the thumbnail. So I'm going to look up. Do a quick Google search. Yeah, Uganda flag. It's not a chicken. There, the one of the searches was Uganda flag bird. That's a cool Cre bird. Crested crane. It's a crested crane. That's pretty here, cool. Here it is in real life. Wow, it's a pretty bird. Pretty like bird. birds. I like birds too. Oh, it's the national bird, Uganda's Uganda's national bird. Was oh, it crested crane? Mm-hmm. I like it. That's cool. That's a cool bird. Wow, it's a really pretty bird. I see why it's their their national bird. It's really nice. Really pretty. Wow. So. I mean, I think the fact that the Uganda's national bird is the crested crane is the real today I learned. <laughs> I think that's the better one. Yeah. The Uganda's crested crane. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Crested crane. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's it, very, very pretty. It's a young like country it. with a cool bird on their cool flag. And that's what we it know is. about Uganda. I like their flag, too. Black, yellow, and red. I like it. That's cool. Okay, one last... Today I learned, and then we'll call okay. it an episode. Today I learned John von Neumann was considered the smartest man alive by his fellow physicists. Enrico Fermi once told his PhD student, you know how much faster I am in thinking than you are? That's how much faster von Neumann is compared to me. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, von Neumann, he's the one uh, that uh, revolutionized uh, computer programming. Really? Uh, yeah, because the the linear from I don't know I could be wrong. Uh, need to fact check what I'm saying. I may be wrong, but it, it called the von Neumann is where you 
have a linear uh, uh, in, in computer programming. You have a linear. You first you this line, then this, then this, then this. So it's sequential, and so you you do that operation, that operation, that operation, and then you have you have loops and everything. So all that logic mm-hmm. on how to actually solve things, and he just began expanding it. That that's called the 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 von Neumann uh, uh, von Neumann programming. At least that's that's how that's what I remember way back when when I was learning it. Uh, there's other there's other forms of programming other than that. Uh, you can have event programming and a different kind of programming, but that's a linear kind of a, a sequential programming. I, know, I should look that I should look that up to make sure if I I remember that I could be wrong. It probably is wrong. I probably got it wrong. I want to share uh, one that I saw a couple a day ago. And it inspired me to do this episode. Speaking of computer programming, can I share one more today I learned? Yeah, sure. This is the one that I saw when I was scrolling Reddit. And I was like, this is fascinating. We should do an episode like this. So here we go. Today I learned that as far back as 1928, the USSR had a water-based analog computer that that functioned by careful manipulation of water through a room full of interconnected pipes and pumps. Water levels stored numbers, and the rate of flow between them represented math operations. It was in use until the 1970s. Wow. Isn't that fascinating? That's cool. Let's take this look. Digital Journal. In 1936, Soviet scientist Lukyanov built an analog water computer. Wow. Vladimir Lukyanov. That's cool. That's cool. The world's first computer for solving partial differential equations. Wow. The operator solved the equations by, quote, playing around with a series of interconnected tubes filled with water. (laughs) Playing around. (laughs) I just, when I saw this, I'm like, I think you'd find that interesting. Well, when I was in undergrad... In engineering school, uh, back in the '60s, I don't know if I told you this. I remember uh, there was a buzz. You know, I said, "What's going on? What's going on?" They go, "Oh, they have this machine that could actually do the calculations automatically." This is before before calculators. Mm-hmm. You were These using slide exist. slide rules in class. Slide rule. We used slide, and actually, we we built slide rules. Like we says, build a slide rule to do this, these operations. So we mm-hmm. had to build them to know the relationship. But anyway, so there's a machine, a mechanic machine. That does, so we go into, I go into this office, you know, and they go, look at this. And people huddled around. And so you would type, kind of like a typewriter, you'd type, you know, and it would type. And then you push it. And then it would go. And that's kind of what it was. And it would add numbers together. It would multiply numbers together. It would divide numbers together and subtract numbers. Four-function calculator. Four-function calculator. And it was mechanical. It was a big thing like this. And it would just go <laughs> like this, and it, and it did for you. And we thought it was so awesome. Whoa, it does it automatically. Can you believe that? Whoa. Come I mean, you can see a typewriter, you know. But the typewriter, you make it spell. Okay. But this thing, you push the numbers in, and then you push a button, and it would go up and come back down, and it would do the math for you. So that was way, way back in the in the '60s, whenever these things first came out. 
I think so. So all of our technology and this in the circuit board and transistors, that was an analog computer. What you just showed, right? Yeah. Our computers they are not analog. They're 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 digital. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing of it is, uh, back when I was in school, I learned everything analog. And I didn't I didn't learn digital till after I graduated in grad school. Then in grad school, I started learning the, the digital stuff. Because we had we call the Shannon sampling theorem, where when you have analog, and if you're going from analog to digital, then how do you measure what's the frequency and also what's the 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 wavelength of your sampling uh, in order to capture the different frequencies of an analog analog signal? Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember that. I never hear about that anymore. It's, fa- it's fascinating because like in music, I know when I started recording in 2008, 2007, um, was an issue. So, you know, a sample rate for audio, because audio is an analog thing. So on a CD, <laughs> it's 44.1 kilohertz. So you take 44,100 samples per second. Um, so you're not hearing the sound you're hearing a digital approximation of the sound 44,100 times every second. Um, when you play a record, you're hearing the analog sound. Now, the human ear, I don't think it's good enough to differentiate between an analog signal and a digital signal that's 40. I mean, obviously, when it's coming through the speakers and hitting your ears, that's an analog signal. That's not ones and zeros that are hitting your ears. That's a sound wave that's hitting your ears. But the information that's being used to produce that analog signal is ones and zeros. That's 44,100 samples. So when I first started, there was this big thing. People would record in 24-bit. And even at higher sample rates at 48,000 or 96,000. And then they'd have to dither it down to 44.116-bit to put it onto a CD. Um, so there was these big processes people would have to go through. They'd pay thousands of dollars to get these software programs that would help them sort of transfer <laughs> it into the right uh, bit rate and bit depth. Nowadays, any program will do it. I mean, I think Windows Media Center will do it. Um, but certainly like VLC, like a program like that, will just automatically do this stuff. But back then it was an issue. And you don't hear about it anymore. And nobody uh, exports to that format anymore because nobody has CDs. They all just export it to MP3s because it's like, ah, who cares? I mean, you might keep an uncompressed wave file for yourself, but music is consumed on the streaming services, so everything is put into MP3. And so I think it's fascinating how things change. And you could, like, you could have spent... Like if you were an audio engineering student in 2005, you could have spent a semester learning about dithering and learning about, you know, exporting to the correct bit rate and bit depth and sort of learning about transferring between bit depths and the appropriate way to do all this stuff. And fast forward 15 years later, that semester you spent in a class, nobody cares about that anymore because you just click what you want in the program and it does it automatically. (laughs) Well, a couple of things I think of is that, you know, you can record at a very, very high bit rate, but then when you play it back, it's so low that, you know, did it matter that you recorded that high? <laughs> You're playing it back. 
at a lower di- di- uh, bit rate, mm-hmm. it, you'll never see the accuracy of the recording. Yeah. yeah. Or, and the other thing is, that you said the ear can't, the ear can't can't uh, distinguish that amount of uh, accuracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think it's a combination of the ear and the brain. Yes. I think maybe the ear can, but the brain can't separate it out. Because mm-hmm. the brain uh, it does a lot of things. Uh, and so I think our receptors, our eyes, our ears, our smell, our touch, are, are much more sensitive than the cap- capacity of our brain to interpret that those signals coming to it. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that's why our brain comes and goes. That's why we should protect our brain. That's why you should never play football. That's why you should drink a lot of tea. Should drink a lot of tea. <laughs> Cheers, David. Cheers. I'm drinking coffee because it's the morning, but I'll be drinking tea okay. later today. I got, I got my tea. And I love, yeah, tea is good. So before we leave, yeah, I just want to say, I was talking to Laura. Um, I've been drinking more tea. I already drink a lot of tea. I probably drink at least five bags of tea tea, not like herbal tea, but five bags of regular tea a day. Camellia sinensis. Yes. And uh, so I love this. This is one of my favorite things on the internet. You can Google, is X healthy? X being a variable. And no matter what you Google, you'll end up on imright.com and it'll tell you that what you're doing is healthy. So like, <laughs> like I'm going to do this because I did this the other day. I, I hope I can find the same. I bought cheese curds. So you know cheese curds, right? <laughs> They're, and I, I've been eating them as a snack, and I'm like, damn, these cheese curds are so delicious. But they're probably not too healthy. So I Googled, are cheese curds healthy? <laughs> and guess where I ended up? I ended up on the American GoldenAgeCheese.com says, well, what do you know? Golden Age Cheese is telling me that cheese curds <laughs> are healthy. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, they, oh, look at this. They have numerous nutrients such as phosphorus, zinc, vitamin A, vitamin B12, cheese curds. If I eat nothing but cheese curds, I'll probably live forever. <laughs> yeah, you could. that's all you need. Do you think that Golden Age Cheese, they have any uh, interest, personal interest, in whether or not you know whether or not cheese curds are healthy or not? <laughs> so I think they might. So I was reading. So cheese curds, it's like you kind of roll your eyes, like yeah, and then they'll they'll always say stuff like like is corned beef healthy? Corned beef is like super salty, super fatty red meat, and uh, you could find why it tastes so good. Yeah, you could find oh corned beef, and one thing that they love to say. Uh, so like if you'll go to like the American Corn Beef Council. It's like ten health benefits of corned beef, and it's like it's high in iron, and it's gluten free. <laughs> and it's like yeah, of course, corned beef is gluten free. But I do like how no matter what you search, you will find out that what you're eating is going to help you live forever. But I did search tea the other day, tea health benefits, and there are quite a few. I think that. Drinking a lot of tea, drinking a lot of water, it's one of the best things you can drink. It is. It is. 
So yeah. even though everything you Google will tell you that you're going to live forever, <laughs> like, I mean, something that shouldn't be healthy. Is whiskey healthy? Is whiskey good for you? Whiskey has high levels of polyphenols, plant-based antioxidants linked with lowering your risk of heart disease. It's like, oh, all I have to do is get wasted on whiskey every day and I'll never get a heart attack. <laughs> like, I don't uh -huh. know. But I think we got a little bit off topic, but today was a yeah. fun episode. Do you like going through the Reddit? I kind of do. It's fun. Actually, I, I uh, on Wikipedia, Von Neumann Architecture, mm -hmm. uh, I was they did talk about the EDVAC and... Uh, the von Neumann architecture, this kind of thing. So I was right. For like so programming von... and recursive checking of lists and stuff? Exactly. And the the, uh, the the term von Neumann architecture has evolved to mean any stored program computer in which an instruction and data operation cannot occur at the same time. They have a common bus. And so mm. that's how you would, you would uh, program. It's, it's programming through a common bus and uh, memory. Uh, 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 memory and then storage. Anyway, so I learned that way back when. So, yeah, he's a pretty smart guy. So that was one of our last ones. And then we had the water computer. And the then water we, started, computer. we got it off track with me, Jabber John, about how everything you eat, if you Google it, you'll find out you're going to live forever. And then we got the Uganda bird. The Uganda the bird. The... the crested crane. The crested there. crane. Beautiful bird. There it is. Bird. Oh, I, man, I like it. I got the outro music kicking. You do? Yes, because I think we can call this one. I liked this episode. I thought we had fun. We learned some things. Yeah. So is there anything you'd like to say to the folks out there before we get out of here? Yeah, Sons of the Quarry wants to tell you to keep on talking. Uh, but listen more than you talk. And try to understand what that other person is saying. You might just learn something, like we did today. You, just might, you might learn something just like we did today. See ya. Okay, bye.